Welcome to episode 5 of Avec IO. In this episode, we wrap up our conversation with Steve Capon of Harvest Heating and Air Conditioning by covering mini splits, the impact on utilities, and net zero in Iowa. Walk with us. I think I mentioned it before, I might have gotten edited out, but I have two types of heat pump customers. Those who know exactly what the heat pump is doing and those who only know that it's blowing warm air. And it's the latter if there's a problem and they don't realize the heat pump has locked itself out on a safety because they forgot to change the air filter. (laughs) They don't know there's a problem until they go out to the mailbox and they have a $500 heat bill when they were expecting 150. So that's the risk. Um, now, if you're out in the country, we have a, a utility that has a, a cheaper electric rate because you're all electric, okay? Some of the utilities have that make that accommodation, typically the rural electric cooperatives. Well, they'll give you a, a much cheaper uh, electric rate if you decide to heat with all electric, and they'll do it just for, you have a separate meter for your heating and cooling. So they'll meter at a separate rate. And typically right now the electric cooperatives are at 5.2 a kilowatt hour. Here in Ames we have municipal utility. We're at 8.9, which is essentially 9 cents a kilowatt hour. The other utilities range from 11.2 all the way up to 15.2. So when you start getting toward 9 cents a kilowatt hour, now you are, you're, you're pregnant with a $500 heat bill. That's why I don't like electric resistance. Uh, in municipal settings, because you don't get a cheaper electric rate, mm-hmm. and you call that you call that a risk. But I mean, is it really just all wrapped up in that maintenance with of the air filter? Or? Well, it it can be, or there can be any number of you know air conditioners and heat pumps. They break down. Yeah. Could, be, could be something else. But if, you're not you're not going to detect that until you get a bill, is what you're saying. That's right. Okay. That's right. If you're the latter type customer, if okay. you're the former. <laughs> hey, this expensive geothermal unit's not working the way it should be. I can tell it's not running. There's something wrong. They're going to call immediately, and they're going to be sheltered from that. Okay. So in talking about the utilities, that does make there, – there is some impact on whether or not uh, the selection of a heat pump cash flows, quote, unquote. Okay. Um, if you're getting a cheaper utility rate, like out with the cooperative, then – even there and with the tax credits, the incentives the utility is going to give you, you you almost can't afford not to put in geothermal because it with those incentives and with the annual savings, um, it's, it's crunching down the payback into a four- to five-year period. Then the next tier below that for that rural cooperative, electric cooperative customer would be the air-to-air where the, you're going to spend a lot less on the front end. You aren't going to get utility incentives uh, as large as with the geothermal, so they're not biting down the price as much. But you can't afford not to go with the electric heat now because that's a 5.2 kilowatt hour rate. If you're in town at $0.09 cents a kilowatt hour, uh, starting to get tough. And if you're on one of the utilities that's at 15.2, it just doesn't cash flow. It's just not... It's not worth it. Hmm. Not worth the wear and tear on the machine to try to run it, or you're shutting it off uh, 
you're shut, having to shut it off because it doesn't make economic sense below, say, 40 degrees. It's just, it's, it's, it depends on the utility. Your utility, your kilowatt hour rate matters when you're selecting it. So, so in this community, would you say people are pretty aware of those price points, I mean, and their options? Or are we entering a new phase of geothermal, or we've been here for a while and people just aren't convinced yet? Or where would you... Th- well, th- let me let me go this way. Let me go this way on this. So, the electric resistance element as your auxiliary heat source. Remembering your your geothermal or your air to air heat pump need an auxiliary heat source. Go back to when we talked about balance point. Okay, mm-hmm. balance point for an air to air heat pump typically around here is thirty two degrees. So above thirty two, it's heat pump only. Below thirty two, it's heat pump plus. The auxiliary heat source with geothermal being like a force, just a furnace, forced air furnace. Well, no, that's that's what I'm going to get into. Oh, okay. So we'll we got electric resistance elements that are going to kick on to boost the the heat content of the air once you get below your balance point. Okay. With uh, the geothermal, our balance point, we're going to try to push that all the way down to zero degrees. So above zero, it's geothermal only. Below zero is geothermal plus your auxiliary heat source, which the standard is electric resistance elements. And the reason being behind geothermal is the outrageous expense associated with this installation means it has to perform better than a 30 degree, uh, 32 degree balance point like the air to air. Okay. Yeah. It has to justify its, its cost, which means less than 5% of the year, you know, sometimes 10% of the year is the, auxiliary even going to kick on because we don't spend that much time below zero but you've got to have it because it does occur okay so it can cash flow better than an air to air with electric resistance if you have a higher utility rate but still if you have a really wicked cold january it can blow you out of the water with you know your your savings can a significant portion of your savings from the geothermal can be eaten up because the electric elements were running Hmm. Previously, I've talked about the two types of customers. Same deal. They've you've if you aren't paying attention, and your uh, heat pump isn't running, but you're still blowing warm air. That means you're being carried by your electric resistance elements, and that means the utility bill four times higher than you were expecting. Hmm. So in town, they have what they call hybrid or dual fuel systems. Okay. And the, the electric cooperatives, they've jumped on board those as well. And they can work with either either uh, air-to-air heat pumps or geothermal, okay? Typical hybrid setup, though, is either-or. So above 32 degrees, if it's an air-to-air product, right? Above 32 degrees, our balance point, it's going to be heat pump only. Then below 32 degrees, it's going to be fossil fuel high-efficiency furnace. Mm. So it's either-or. Either the heat pump's doing the job or the furnace is doing the job, okay? You can do the same type of setup with a certain style of, of geothermal where above balance point of approximately zero degrees is going to be geo only. Then below that point, it's furnace only. We had talk, I talked mentioned the things that I invented. I invented a device that allows uh, fossil fuel furnace to work in concert with a heat pump okay so remember way back i had talked about true supplemental heat so 
the heat pump is heating the air um, to 95 degrees and it heats the house above balance point. Then as it starts to get colder, we need a little extra heat from the electric resistance elements to push us over the top. So we used in that example, you know, 94 degree air uh, above 32 degrees. And when it got to 20, we had 84 degree air. Okay. Well, 84 degree air is not going to do the entire job of heating your house. So the heat pump heats the air to 84. Then the toaster elements kick in to boost you to 110. Now your air has enough heat content to satisfy the thermostat. So it's truly supplementing. Heat pump's doing some heating down or up to 84 degree air and then the electric resistance are going to take it from 84 up to 110 okay mm -hmm. in an air to air or a geothermal of certain type you can't operate uh you can't operate that setup in true supplemental heat hence the either or because what's happening in the typical hybrid is when it's in heat pump mode the heating coil slash cooling coil, depending upon the season, right? It sits on top of the furnace. So as air is brought uh, down through the return air, through the filter, into the furnace, and then blown through the uh, heating coil above the furnace, the air is warmed at that point to 94 degrees. Okay, let's go down to where it's uh, 20 degrees out. Now the heat pump is only capable of generating 84 degree air. It's not heating the house. If we try to kick on the furnace, which is downstream or upstream, depending upon your how you want to look at it, at any rate, it's the first thing that that room temperature, that 70-degree air encounters, is the furnace heat exchanger. I can't boost the air temperature at all because I'm going to be dumping 120-degree air from the furnace into an 84-degree coil right, mm. from your heat pump. That's going to actually do the opposite then. It's going to actually cool the air off, and it's going to make the heat pump shut down on high pressure because uh, it's being heated externally from the furnace. So that's why they have to be either or, okay? <laughs> if we put that heating coil in the return air, let's see what happens. Pulled in 70 degrees to that heating coil, okay? Now we've warmed it to 84, and it's going into the furnace, Okay. And the furnace then can take it from 84 to 110 or 120 or whatever, you know, whatever it's, it's uh, set up for. So that would be true supplemental heat. It sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? The problem is with that setup is that's your cooling coil. Hmm. Now we're going to refrigerate the air going into the furnace, which has a metallic uh, heat exchanger. The 90... Uh, 90 plus percent efficient furnaces have uh, an intake pipe for bringing in combustion air. They burn it, pass it through the heat exchanger, and discharge it. So what I'm establishing is is the heat exchanger is in free communication with the outdoor air. Summertime, that outdoor air is extremely humid, is warmer, the basement is cooler, and what you establish is a thermohygroscopic engine. So if I refrigerate that appurtenance in the airstream coming off the coil of the uh, return air coil, we talked about moving it there, okay? So we're refrigerating the air to 55 degrees. It's hitting the heat exchanger, chilling the heat exchanger to 55 degrees. Remember, the heat exchanger is in full communication with the outdoor air. It will begin to sweat on the interior of the heat exchanger. 
and it will create an engine where it's pulling in moisture, sweating it out, pulling in moisture, sweating it out. Mm -hmm. And there's a thermal component, so it just keeps turning over. It has an inexhaustible supply of humidity. And before you know it, you have no heat exchanger because it's rusted out. Even though those high-efficiency furnaces are designed to deal with uh, the water vapor that's created from combustion, uh, they want that, that condensation occurring in a specific spot, right? The secondary heat exchanger, but you're going to have condensation all over the interior. And, and worse than all that, even if it didn't rust out, you'd have biologics. You'd have mushrooms growing in your, in your heat exchanger. <laughs> so putting, well, we would get true supplemental heat out of it, but we would destroy the furnace or create an unsafe condition if we left that coil. Now, it's not an option to be moving the coil <laughs> annually. Move the coil over here for cooling back on top of the furnace where we want it. So we were talking about uh, previous. I'd, one of those other uh, patents that I have is a device that diverts the refrigerant so that we can have a dedicated heating coil and a dedicated cooling coil. So we have two two coils in the airstream, one dedicated to heating, right? One dedicated to cooling, and the device I invented automatically diverts the refrigerant to the correct coil. The advantage is then we have a hybrid that can do true supplemental heat. On fossil fuels. Well, fossil fuel as your auxiliary heat as source. the auxiliary. Right, right, as opposed to electric elements. Right. Now, if you are the latter customer who only knows it's blowing warm air or the former which i don't remember <laughs> which it was <laughs> you're the customer who doesn't know what's going on except it's blowing warm air the worst he's going to be is the same as his next door neighbor who has a 95 percent efficient furnace mm -hmm. you know he's going to have a 200 hundred dollar heat bill instead of the 125 he was anticipating so mm -hmm. the advantage there too is uh uh the air-to-air -air heat pump or the geothermal always goes first it gives you two-thirds or three-quarters of your heat requirement and then the the furnace kicks in to um, to boost that um, uh, air the heat content of the air to heat the house and you yeah. know the net effect is because it's running so little the lifespan of the furnace then becomes indefinite because you know, it's, it's not running very much or very frequently, but it also has the advantage if you do have an extended power failure, you need just a little teeny tiny generator, right, to power the power just the furnace. You don't have to have a huge one brought in on a truck to accommodate a heat pump plus yeah. auxiliary elements. But if you make the furnace the primary source, then you could have mushroom flavored air in your house i mean <laughs> yes, you could it's all about preference Derek, go down and get me some mushrooms <laughs> the furnace they've been in there for a couple of weeks <laughs> well i mean it's it, it was a great idea i mean I, I had to exhaust the idea before i uh, you know what would be the impact of doing that that'd be a quick kill right mm -hmm. but everything i'm talking about none of it is heroic you know it's all it is another another refrigerant heat exchanger and then you have two supplemental heat let me tell you a little secret about the utilities. They can say they're gung-ho for geothermal and really, you know, reducing carbon footprint. It's awesome. But remember, we have to have an auxiliary heat source. If everyone in your neighborhood added 60 amps of requirement to accommodate resistive elements, okay, every house in the neighborhood, now the infrastructure is going to be strained. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I, I, I'm convinced that it's part of why uh, uh, the utilities stopped offering incentives to get people to go to geothermal. They huh. just decided, not not good. Hmm. So the hybrid, from my perspective, the hybrid is the solution because then it's it's going to allow for urban adoption of, of geothermal. You know, and I won't go into how it changes the sizing philosophy or alters the balance point, but it... The net effect is to reduce the operating or reduce the front end cost so that the average guy can afford it without a tax credit. Mm-hmm. We had spoken about efficiency, capacity and efficiency. That's when I'm saying rating, that means rated for how much cooling or heating it will do and its efficiency, miles per gallon. It's the easiest analog to remember. So, SEER rating is your air conditioner, uh, how it's rated. It's heating section. If you have an air-to-air heat pump, remember that's air outside, air inside. You're going to have HSPF, which is heating season performance factor, and COP. With the geothermal, where we've altered one fluid, so it's air on the inside and uh, uh, water on the other side of the heat exchanger. So rather than air-to-air, it's water-to-air. Okay, Its efficiency is going to be uh, and capacity are going to be rated by EER. Once again, miles per gallon without a seasonal component like we had talked previously. And then its heating performance is measured with COP. So all of those, the bigger the number, the more efficient, the less to operate. The air-to-air heat pump um, uh, is you know, not cut and dried. We have the mini-split approach. And per our previous discussions, like a mini-split could be used if there's just no way to get ductwork to this one space, right? We can go with the mini split approach, and then you can have a thermostat and control the heat and cooling in that one in that one space, um, and you know annex it and be able to use it because it's not too hot or too, not too cold. Um, they also have once again there are ducted varieties, and if if a person has curiosity, there's there's plenty of information out there. If you look up Mitsubishi or Fujitsu. On the internet, you're going to see the various types of of air handling for the indoor section that you can get, um, where it, it solves some of those problems of hard to heat or hard to cool uh, areas. But the rating of efficiency uh, and capacity are going to be the same as a straight up air to air. It's just how the air is delivered with a mini split to the interior. Hmm. So, and whether or not it cash flows, you really need to look at your your utility rate and the best way to do that is find your utility bill look at the total number of kilowatt hours used and take it against your uh total charge because you you know you almost need a bachelor's degree in statistics to read an electric (laughs) bill because well and what you want is the net rate and the net rate is going to be total number of kilowatt hours by how big the check was that you wrote Mm -hmm. you know divide that into it and you're going to find out your effective uh kilowatt hour rate and then you can make a decision you know i will say this going back to uh air conditioners the sear ratings and whatnot in iowa it it probably doesn't cash flow to go beyond um the standard sear rating and the reason being uh we only have a three-month cooling season. So if it is significantly more expensive to make the jump to 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, um, do it because you're, 
you're green, you're feeling green, do it for that. But as far as dollars, once again, we just don't spend that much on cooling for a one more mile per gallon uh, equation to uh, to work out cash flow wise. You just aren't going to save any dollars. Hmm. Um, and the reason I push that even harder is because now virtually everything has a 10-year 10 10-year 10 parts warranty. It used to make sense to go up to the more expensive machine just for the peace of mind of a longer warranty, okay? Yeah. Well, now even starter equipment, standard efficiency equipment has, has got that 10-year parts warranty, so there's less. Now, if you're in Dallas, buy the most expensive air conditioner you <laughs> buy, the most efficient machine, because that's where you're spending the lion's share utility dollar. In Iowa, the lion's share is is uh, heating, and that's why there. Remember, we talked about the efficiencies of air-to-air heat pumps or air conditioners. You can get them seventeen to eighteen, uh, seventeen to eighteen sear. It's very efficient. Well, if you can get that high on the cooling side. Geothermal just simply does not cash flow and never will cash flow in the deep south. Mm. You can get air-to-air products that are that are comparable. You know, maybe a one or two BTUs per watt off, one or two sear points off of the uh, of the air-to-air product, right? And remember, if you have like a somebody introducing something else, but you have a two-stage unit has a low cool, high cool. Okay. Well, in Dallas, you're not you're not going to be able to take advantage of it because the thing's going to be in high cool almost all the time. I mean, they have overnight lows of 88 degrees, right? There's just not enough money to be saved in the South. Geothermals or their magic zone is where your heating is the lion's share of your uh, uh, utility dollar. Mm-hmm. And if it's heating, then geo begins to cash flow and handsomely because you're getting... Remember we talked about the heat of compression. You compress that refrigerant, that heat is free. So it it it's really for heating hmm. and cooling. The air-to-air products have, have gotten so much better in terms of efficiency that you can't justify the extra money being only two more BTUs per watt more efficient. So, hmm. so renewable energies, net zero, a lot, of, a lot of buzzwords that are out there. There's a lot of... A lot of things that people hear and and are striving towards, maybe. And um, I just i want to I want to park there for a little while and, and try to t- try to see in Iowa mm-hmm. with the tools that we've got available, with the uh, um, the climate that we have, and all of these things. What's uh, where are we in all of this, and 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 what can we be doing? I guess to um, to get more involved in it or, you know, w- what's the realistic nature, I guess, of, of maybe even just net zero we'll take, for instance, right now and, and, and how renewable energies play into all of this as it comes to an HVAC standpoint? Well, I mean, for the most part, it depends upon, I mean, there's huge options. You know, you can go super primitive, you know, right. and, you know, you're literally stoking up a high efficiency fireplace or a, a water boiler, you know, stoking it with a lumber. I mean, 
probably gets a little sticky with true net zero. I mean, that would, be, that would, you're, you know, you'd be burning a lot of carbon, mm-hmm. putting a lot of carbon dioxide in here, but you'd be off the grid, mm-hmm. you know, or able to generate just, you know, the electricity required for lights and sure. forego cooling. So, you know, it's reasonably doable. Uh, most people aren't going to be into chopping wood, you know, and they do want cooling and they want the creature comforts associated with it. But with some of the advents, like the mini splits that we talked about, because of their higher capacity and they don't guzzle electricity like a typical uh, heat pump system with electric resistance elements as the auxiliary heat source, if they can do it via the refrigeration cycle, you know, doing their heat pump thing, you know, it 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 makes net zero uh, – a lot more achievable and even if you know in, in iowa it's the, the 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 backbreaker is 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 heating requirement you know you might be able to achieve full net zero if it's a mild winter but if it's a tough winter maybe you're at a slight deficit mm-hmm. my whole feeling on it is you know if you're if you're uh, if you're what do i want to say if you buy in or dedicated to the idea Geez, 90% or 85% or even 50%, you know, if, uh, is better than hmm. nothing. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you're able to generate half your electricity via solar and, and meet half your annual uh, energy requirement with it, that's a ton better than nothing. You know, most of us are not net zero. We are, you know, the antithesis of it. <laughs> so that's why it's a noble goal right. um you know my own my own feeling is you know it's, it's going to depend upon your constitution uh whether you want to do it simply because you want to be the best citizen that you can be so you're 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 employing everything green that you can um you know so if you're fully bought in that way maybe if it doesn't cash flow quite as well you know in terms of, of being net zero producing uh, not only a, a smaller carbon footprint but it's putting money back in your pocket, money that you're not having to spend. You know, there there is an area in between where some is way better, infinitely better than none. Mm-hmm. But with some of the advances in technology, man, it's 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 a lot uh, a lot more doable than it has been in the past. We'll put it that way. And obviously, as you've even spoke on, you have a customers will come to you and they want to install a new high efficiency unit in their house with zero insulation you know there's a lot of practical steps that probably need to be taken before you even address it from any sort of an hvac standpoint but um well yeah the integrity of the envelope i've told people you know we're building a house should we spend the extra money for the blown foam insulation or like i had told you previously that you mentioned hey we want to put in a higher efficiency furnace our utility bills are terrible and then i find that the house isn't insulated And the biggest bang for the buck is going to be, no, don't, this is going to save you about 8% of your utility bill as opposed to 40% if you insulate, Mm -hmm. right? So I advise people in building new construction, if you can afford it, you get the best insulation package that you possibly can afford. Because it's not only going to increase, like in this case, uh, increase the likelihood that you're going to have a, a... an approach toward uh, net zero, right? The comfort dividend alone. It's just, it's when you walk into a house that has blown foam, you can tell. It's like stepping into a, a, 
thermos, you know. You don't have the drafts. You can sit near an outside wall and not wonder where the, where the cold air is coming from, you know. And, of course, it pays huge dividends on your utility uh, utility costs. It is a diminishing return, though. I mean, the difference between no insulation and R11 is, is monumental. The difference between – now, I'm talking in terms of energy usage or the impact on your, your utility bill – the jump from 11 to 19 is not going to produce uh, ginormous same. savings. That's right. It's, it's, it's a diminishing return, right. you know, but that's why I say do it just for the comfort dividend. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. If your environment is, is comfortable, you're spending more than a, you know, two thirds of your life there typically. So, And while you've talked about a lot of different, um, types of equipment i mean just today even in the heat pumps and the different types of them it seems like they're we're definitely coming up on something that has i mean we're in an age where a lot more efficient machines are available and we can do the heating and cooling a lot more efficiently obviously we're not this this interview or this podcast series of strictly from an hvac standpoint will be followed up at some point by thermal envelope of the building and all of these other things proving right. this is yes. a big it's bigger than just one component you know it's our, our yeah our and I, I did want to say something for like the for the layman to understand who might not even be familiar with uh net zero the idea of of spending ultimately spending nothing no correct me if i'm wrong and you're on if you're interested, spending nothing on utilities you are, or you may spend it, but you'll get the credit back, and you're trying to balance. That's out. right. So well, it's a yeah, net meter zero right? for a year, right. for a given for a, time period. Period, yeah. period of time, right? So that means you're going to be married to, if you're trying to achieve that, an electrical uh, generated heat source. Because you, unless you live in North Dakota, in which case you might have a natural gas well on your property, <laughs> right? right? Unless you have that. It's it's going to be an electric heat source, and that's why I say it becomes reachable with the with the changes and the advances in uh, uh, heat pump technology. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would also say if you've you know we had talked previously about the hybrid that a hybrid for the amount of time that it time that it spends at a given uh, requirement where your auxiliary heat is needed, you know, having that natural gas as your auxiliary heat source in the true supplemental heat configuration is maybe that wouldn't be as bad of a mm-hmm. of a sin because there are conveniences associated with natural gas you have natural gas house you can have a gas range because you prefer to cook with gas you can have tiki torches out on the deck you can have a, a gas fireplace you know mm-hmm. so something like that uh i guess where what i'm trying to say is it's it's not a, it's not like you're putting in a coal boiler in your basement where you have a you know a sooty black uh smokestack coming out of your house where you're just trashing the environment but you're net zero you know it's there there are worse things that you do i guess so if i were to say in iowa because of that i wouldn't shut the door on 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 the approach toward uh, uh net zero yeah. Can that be accomplished then with just heat pump technology, or does there need to be supplemental, say, solar as a resource? Well, you're going to have to have solar. Right. You're going to have to have a wind turbine. If you're going to go net zero, you have to generate, and you have to generate in surplus, right, 
to cover those times of the year where we have uh, climate extremes. You know, it's we spend a week at 101 degrees where you might be you might actually be using more electricity than you're generating, right? What about a human hamster wheel? Is that feasible? <laughs> you could do that, or, a, or you could hook up to your exercise bike. You could you could hook up <laughs> right. a generator I to hadn't that. I thought about that. That's right. You could get one for each of the kids <laughs> and then get plenty of battery capacity where you have to do two miles before you can have that Twinkie. Is there any way that you can generate electricity by leaving your refrigerator door open? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking that's going to... You need to get on that one. That yeah. I'll be, be all over that one. I guess with that, we'll just say thanks again. Um, thanks for inviting me, guys. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Steve. Until next time. Let's build something. Great. Alrighty. Avec IO is a production of Avec Design Build an architect-led design-build firm that believes in working alongside every entity involved in a project as a team, with each other, for the same end goal. Thanks for listening.